Dr. Vetter, what do you think of Thales Academy so far? I am awestruck. Really? I really am impressed with the uh, students that I've met so far. I, admittedly, there's somewhat of a superficial visit. I've yeah. only been here a half hour or so. Maybe there's a, a bad side lurking underneath all of what I've seen, but I, I haven't seen it. And, of course, the students are all dressed up nicely in coats and ties, which is something you don't usually see. So maybe that's, maybe it's deceptive. Maybe. Uh, it might be a bit deceptive. But no, I am impressed because the quality of the questioning and so forth during a public uh, speech I gave here was, was good. And uh, uh, everyone seems quite attentive and polite and everything, which is uh, a good sign. Perfect. Awesome. I'm glad you like it so far. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to What's the Res? We give current resolutions on the world of high school debate, analysis, and insight. My name is Ethan Delves, and today my guest is Dr. Richard Vetter from the University of Ohio. Dr. Vetter is the Edwin and Ruth Kennedy Distinguished Emeritus Professor of Economics and Faculty Associate of the Contemporary History Institute at Ohio University. He is also a senior fellow at the Independent Institute and the founding director of the Center for College Affordability and Productivity in Washington, D.C., He's a, he is the author of several books and over 200 academic articles. Today, he is the content lecturer for the Letty Debate League's Coolidge Cup Qualifier Tournament. Dr. Vetter, welcome to What's the Res? Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So, for our first question, Dr. Vetter, tell us about some of the books you've written. What is your favorite book that you've written or the one that you would deem most important? I wrote a book. Uh, I've written a number of books over the last, I hate to say it, 43 years 44 years, the the book probably that had the most significance and uh, the greatest amount of attention was a book I did about unemployment in America. It was called Out of Work, Unemployment in Government in 20th Century America. And I wrote it in the 1990s with a colleague of mine, and uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. It took an enormous amount of time, a couple of years probably or more to write it uh, and do the research for it. Actually, it wandered over several years, really. And uh, it got a moderate amount of uh, attention in both uh, scholarly circles, that is, with professors and others, but also a little bit in the popular press. And uh, right. so... I felt very good about writing that. But I usually feel good about writing anything I write. I'm sure it feels awesome to write a book. It's, it's satisfying. What's that process like? It's, it requires discipline. Okay. Uh, uh, people, I know people say, I want to write a book. And sometimes they have good ideas. And sometimes they write a, jot a few things down on a piece of paper. But writing a book requires discipline. For me, it meant getting to work early in the morning working for several hours before uh, colleagues came in and started wanting to talk and interrupt me and do this every day, even sometimes on the weekends as well, a little bit. And you just have to plug away at it and you have to do it continuously. And uh, 
it, it, it requires discipline, which is, hmm. you know, kind of true even high school. You know, oh, a lot yeah, of things. You, you have to yeah. a lot of things in life. You have to do that. So Okay. Well, thank you. And also, I was wondering about your most recent book as well. Uh, Dr. Vedder's most recent book is called Restoring the Promise, Higher Education in America. What's your main argument in that book? What's that about? Well, it's a 400-page book, so there's a lot of arguments in the book. I can't uh, – no professor can – yeah. So say one argument. There's a lot. But what it does is say that American higher education, American colleges and universities are in some trouble. Okay. Uh, we, in some ways, we have one of the finest systems of education in the world. Uh, students flock to America from all over the world to go to school here. We have the famous research programs and uh, world-renowned universities. Uh uh, if you look at any list of the, say, the top 100 universities in the world, usually about half of them are in the United States, which is kind of cool. Wow, yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of good things. I'm not, I, I don't deny that. Indeed, I, I think we rejoice in that. But enrollments are starting to fall. Uh, people are complaining the costs are too high with some justification. The, the cost mm. of going to college has risen enormously, yeah. uh, more more rapidly than our incomes have uh, risen. Uh, people, uh, there's some evidence that kids aren't all learning all that much in college. And there's some other evidence that kids, uh, recent college graduates, aren't getting as good a jobs as they would like, certainly. And in some cases, they're not getting, uh, they're getting jobs, but they're often pretty mediocre jobs. So there's a lot of danger signs out there. Okay. And, uh, and you said income costs are, are raising more slow, more slowly yeah, than our, college costs? Yeah, let's say our incomes, our family incomes are going up, let's say, just make a number up, 1% a year. Okay. And But the cost of college is going up 2 or 3% a year. Wow. And so... That happens for a long period of time. Uh, we have a problem, and you don't uh, think we'll be able to keep up. Well, it become the burden becomes greater and greater. So, how do people pay for all this? Well, they go borrow money from the government, mainly the federal government. So, they owe one and a half trillion dollars. That's a lot of money uh, in debt right now. Forty-five million Americans or older Americans, some of them are even fifty, sixty years old now, are in debt to one, a huge tune, a uh, large extent from these uh, loans. And uh, it's a burden on them. It's a burden on the nation. It's uh, causing difficulties. So, uh, yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. Wow. Okay. What would you say some of your research interests are? I'm sure you've had to do a lot of research for your books. So what are you particularly interested in as far as research? Well, I, uh, I, I'll... That's not as easy a question to answer as you might think, because okay. over the years I am a curious guy. I'm interested in a lot of things. I'm an economic historian, which is to say I'm interested in our past. So for 10 years of my life, I was interested in two topics a lot. One was slavery, hmm. and we had slavery in our country till 1865, and what were the consequences of that for not only the nation as a whole, but for the African-American population that was directly impacted? So that was an issue. Then another issue that sort of fascinated me was immigration, people moving to our country. This was a, our nation was really an is a nation of immigrants. Almost everyone here came from some 
somewhere else in the world their family did sometimes hundreds of years ago. And um, so I was interested in that for a long time. And uh, long before I got interested in colleges and universities, in fact, colleges and universities, oh, I was teaching at college and university, but I didn't do research on what colleges and universities do until kind of late in my life, actually. Okay. And how long have you taught at Ohio University? I have 54 years. 54 years. And what course do you teach? At I teach uh, courses in economic history. That is the history of our country looking at the economy and looking at what people do and how they earn their money and things of that nature. Okay. That, that's my interest. Interesting. Yeah. So you've been in academia for a long time. And I was wondering, how, is that, how has the academy changed over the years? Have you seen any particular changes and trends that have gone out throughout time? Yeah, there's been a lot of there have been some changes over time. Uh, I could talk about how the economy and generally has changed, or I can talk about how the academy has changed, the university environment in which I uh, teach, and uh, both have had some changes. In some ways, things haven't changed all that much. I and most of my colleagues still get up in a classroom in front of a group of kids and teach. That's what I did 50 years ago. It's what people do in high school for the most part. Uh, but today we have, of course, a lot of online learning and we have a lot of computer-based supplements. Uh, I used to be I have to go to the library for everything. I never go to the library anymore. Well, very rarely go to the library anymore. Mm. And uh, this is students, same thing. Students don't go to the library. They get everything they, they want on their, they can get it usually on their cell phones. Uh, so there seems to be a huge jumble of different things going on with college now. I know you were talking about High Point University building, yeah. you know, lazy rivers and climbing walls everywhere, yeah. and the costs are just Yeah, just no, going the, up. That's, that, that is a real change. Uh, uh, I, one time I called it the country clubization of universities. Country that, clubization. Yeah. Okay. The universities are coming like country clubs, uh, kind of places. Not all colleges are this way, but some colleges sort of serve, uh, have a sort of a class of students. They're mostly from fairly affluent families, pretty well-off families, and they want to learn while they're in college. They want to get this piece of paper saying they're cool and that they're uh, smart and yeah. they know things. But they also want to have some fun, and they want to have a good time. Right, so the country club part kind of plays yeah. into that aspect of yeah. college of the experience, Yeah, and right? that's, that's a, uh, for some people, that's a big thing. For other people, they just want to get that piece of paper, and they come from poor families, and they don't have time to do whatever you do on a lazy river. Lazy river, I've, incidentally, a lazy river is where you, is really a, a Glorified swimming pool is really what it is. It's a, a, a long stream of water where you get on an inner tube or some sort of thing and you sit. And, uh, Do you like lazy rivers? Uh, I've never. I've seen them. Uh, it sounds like fun. You sit there and... Uh, they are pretty fun. I drink. Okay. See, Ethan, <laughs> yeah. Ethan knows. And, you, you know, you drink a little libation while you go down the river <laughs> maybe. And sometimes some you shouldn't be drinking it the age you're at no but, uh, but uh people do that and have a good time there's all sorts of stuff going on at these colleges with all with this whole jumble of different things what do you think the essential purpose of colleges well that's a good point in my book i that i just uh, came out with i said there are five or six different 
purposes at one time or other in our history, we've argued. At the very beginning, uh, when America was just getting started, uh, uh, one of the big purposes of colleges is they, there was a sort of a moral dimension to college. Uh, colleges were to teach virtue. They were to teach what is right and what's wrong. They were to help people understand the Christian uh, re uh, faith more. And one-third of the uh, graduates of colleges before the American Revolution were, became ministers. That mm. was their occupation. Wow. They were studying college to become ministers. It would be like going to a seminary or uh, something like that today. So that's what colleges uh, were doing then. But then, of course, some people say, well, the real purpose of college today is mostly vocational. It's to uh, train people to get good jobs. Some will make that argument. But others would say, no, 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 no. Colleges are much more than that. They're supposed to not just teach uh, what we would say disseminate knowledge or spread knowledge. They're to create knowledge, do come up with new ideas, invent mm. things, uh, discover things. And how do you think college is achieving these purposes today as opposed to in the past? Do you think we've deviated from these central purposes? Well, I think we most of the, the, the emphasis has changed. Uh, the moral dimension of college gets downplayed a lot today. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But even today, there are a religiously oriented colleges with a religious affiliation where that aspect of college life is still moderately important. Uh, I think the emphasis on vocations has grown enormously. That's the main thing for most kids. Well, can I get a job when I'm yeah. done? And I think that's what most people uh, center their attention on. That's what I... Uh, uh, in this book that I w talked about, I, I talk more about that than anything else. But, you know, uh, there are these... Uh, some people go to college, they want to, you know, get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or uh, right. uh, have fun. They, yeah. they, they just want to have fun. They want to have a good time. And a lot of people do. And they do. And some of them have a lot of fun. Right. And I have nothing, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think there's a lot to be said for having fun. But when you put it against the cost, maybe. But, but, yeah, and who's paying for it? If the federal government or some state government is paying a lot of that money, is that an appropriate use of public funds? And you just you gave a great content lecture this morning about the cost of college, just more towards the beginning of it. And I was wondering, would you tell our What's the Res listeners, why has college gotten so expensive? Well, there's a lot of... <laughs> theories as to why college has gotten expensive. So it's a couple of things. Like it, it, it's other. more than one thing. But the okay. single thing that sort of stands out that I talked about mostly on uh, my uh, presentation this morning was that the federal government very uh, understandably and uh, you, I think for, with the greatest of good intentions got in the business of providing student loans uh, to kids. So we say, well, the cost of going to college is pretty high. The government will lend you the money, or it'll have a private lender lend you the money, but we'll guarantee the uh, repayment the federal government did. And they started this 50 years or so ago, and uh, it was really little at the beginning. Now it's up to almost $200 billion. Wow. Loans are That's out, pretty serious. at any one moment in time. Yeah. And there's a tr trillion and a half dollars of debt that's been accumulated that's still being paid off. So it's gotten to be a big deal. So it's kind of inflated over time. This problem, and, and it's gotten inflated. And as that's happened, the colleges have seen that, and they said, 
oh, we can raise our fees. Uh, the kids, they may not have the money right now, but they can borrow the money. They'll get it somehow. They'll get it somehow yeah. by hook or crook. So they borrow the money, and the school, instead of raising their fee 1% or 2 or 3%, they said, ah, we'll raise it 4 or 5 or 6%. Man. And if you do that year in, year out for decades. This trend will just... What what do you think about the trend? Do you think it's going to continue? No, there's already signs that it's starting to reverse because... Oh, really? uh, Yeah, there's some signs. I didn't talk about that this morning much. There's some signs that it's uh, reversing or at least it's ending. Uh, Schools are finding it when they raise their fees, say, 4 or 5% a year now, what happens? Kids... Don't show up. They don't come. Yeah. They're becoming very sensitive to the price. There's a point of like diminishing return there. Yeah, and so they're going somewhere else. And uh, so schools are um, more reluctant to raise their fees. Uh, I think that trend will continue. And okay. as I say, enrollments are actually falling now. So. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things I was really interested about from your credentials was the Independent Institute. I'm not too familiar with that think tank. Could you tell us a little bit about the Independent Institute? Yeah, it's Institute? a think tank in California, and it publishes serious works, uh, not comic books or uh, uh, racing magazines or things like that. They right. publish uh, uh, serious works on a variety of different topics, and uh, they published a couple of my books and uh, um, those of many other scholars. Um, and uh, the word independent kind of implies these are people who sometimes are a little out of the mainstream. In other words, they have a little different view than the average conventional wisdom. How do you get into a think tank? Is this like, do you apply to become a member, or what's the well, process there? Uh, How do you become a part uh, of one? I get a reputation, and people who uh, are professors get reputations based on their writings. Sometimes there's other things, too, like they're on radio or TV or something, but mostly their writings. Okay. And they get a reputation and say, hey, did you ever hear about this crazy guy, Vetter? Oh, okay. And uh, so then the think tank will contact me. Hey, we kind of like what you've been saying lately. Do you want to write for us or do you want to? So it's like a reaching out kind of thing between yeah, the yeah, think tank and the person. Yeah, m- more that way, yeah. Okay. If, if you were to design a college, what would that college look like? What would you in- include and it's make sure f- to keep away? funny you ask that question uh, because... Have you designed a college? I've never designed a college. I, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, being right here because uh, the very schools that are form the basis of, of uh, education for you and many others, I think, uh, uh, the people doing that are talking about starting designing their own college. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about that the last 24 hours. I haven't done it, but uh, we uh, spend a vast amount of money on things that have nothing to do with learning at all. So that's all. one thing. One is thing to I just get rid of. You don't need all this. Eliminate wasteful spending? Yeah. Okay. Get, get rid of most of the... What are the essential parts that, that need the, to be included in the college? You can't have a college without teachers. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know how you can do it. Even... Even if you do online or you still they're there directly or indirectly got to be there. That's that's the one critical thing you need. Beyond that, there's a lot of things that colleges do that 
maybe or maybe not they need you know do you really need to have sustainability coordinators whatever that is or do you really need to have a lot of uh, even diversity people who are worried about the composition of the student body or the faculty in terms of oh, whatever biological characteristic male female right. so there's there's race. been like an intentional like evening out of those amounts of students so that there's like a you know this many of this type and this type and yeah this type. yeah that's a big thing in a, a higher ed today and sometimes i wonder whether it needs to be that big of a thing yeah yeah i see where you're coming from and i'm i'm kind of interested about how this relates to the american economy because so far it seems that the american economy has actually been doing pretty well in the past few years unemployment's lower taxes are a little bit lower as well what do you think about the American economic trends? Where do you see those going in the next few years? Are we well, headed towards some sort of recession or, or in the it's near hard future, to, I guess? It's hard to predict the future. Economists are notoriously bad at it. Right. So it is a question you, you're certainly welcome to ask, and it's one that everyone wonders what the answer is. Um, the economy has, and the, this is factual, over the your lifetime, let's say the 21st, just let's roughly say the 21st century, uh, slowed down a bit in its growth from what it was in the 20th century hmm. or even the late 19th century. So there's been a little bit of a growth slowdown. And uh, is that permanent? Uh, why is it? These are issues. And uh, uh, I think it's something that people need to think about and, uh, and address. So there, there's that going on. Uh, okay. Whether it's going to get better or worse, right now we're kind of in a boom. We have, as I, we do this uh, little discussion, we're at very low unemployment. We're at very low uh, levels of, uh, or rather, rather high levels, really, of economic growth. Uh, we are back to sort of historic th above 3% growth rates. Things are going pretty well. They've been, and they've been going in an upward direction for almost a decade. So the time has come where people start are starting to say, hey, it can't go on forever. Right. And uh, when will the bubble burst and how will it burst? So there's a little bit of a concerning period here now that we've done so So we're well. starting to get in that period. Okay. And uh, so we'll just have to see. I guess I, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So have you always been interested in economics? Has that been your primary focus? Uh, I don't, when I started college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I took a course in it, and it kind of appealed to me, so I took more courses. What's your favorite thing about economics? Well, we deal with a very basic human problem. We want more things than are available. Hmm. We want to have things we can't buy. This is true at every age. It's less true, in, of course, of uh, Jeff Bezos or some super billionaire. Less true of them. But even they, I've talked to billionaires who say, I, I, don't have, I can have enough money to buy a jet plane or a, a big yacht, but I don't have enough money to buy both of them. Oh, so <laughs> the, 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 the decisions they face are different ones uh, than, Ethan, than you and I face. But they still have to make choices. And, but to more pe most people, it's a much more fundamental thing. For very poor people, it is, do I buy 
some nice food for my family or do I buy shoes? I don't have enough money to buy both. And, uh, hmm. So there seems you know, to be a little uh, bit of an opportunity and, cost. And they, yeah, it, a lot of economics is opportunity costs. Okay. The more I do of one thing, the less I can do of other things because of limited resources. Scarcity. Scarcity is the key hmm. word. Okay. So you really could have been anywhere this morning, I'm sure, you know, giving talks elsewhere, yeah, or writing I, I, more I've books. Yeah, I've been thinking of that. Yeah. yeah I so could be in bed just sleeping. You, you honestly could just be in bed sleeping. Why did you choose to come to a high school debate tournament and speak here uh, for I us? think it's cool that I, I think debate is super cool. I really think it's a great thing. I've done some debates. I've done debates even in the last couple of years myself. I think it's pretty cool too. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. And I love it. I think it's there's n- almost nothing that develops helps develop you intellectually and in terms of your uh, dealing with other people and uh, your uh, persuasive skills. And I just think it's a marvelously useful uh, way to uh, learn and uh, develop yourself. So I, I love debate, and I thought high school debate that'd be kind of super cool. Uh, did you have high school debate when you were in I, high school? I did not formally debate in high school or college either. Uh, and, hmm. But an irony of it is the last few years I've done uh, a few debates, and I've, I've been very proud of myself because I always win them. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't had a loss yet, uh, and I've had some big ones. I mean, it's a big, good winning streak right yeah, there. Big one, New York City and places like that with big audiences and so forth. So uh, it's kind of cool. I think it's fun. Don't you? Yeah, I love debate. And honestly, I think you have a great sense of humor too, you know, during uh, this podcast this morning. Just like real honest. That's that, honorable thing. Uh, in, in de- uh, this is true in debate too. You can't overdo it because in debate you, you're, you're doing something serious and you have time limitations. But, but you can't forget to be human. Either. But if you yeah. throw in a little humor, it, it the audience warms up to you. And if if in, in some debate, depending on the debate format and how it works, in some debates the audience votes. And uh, I've there's an organization, a very big organization called Intelligence Squared. They do formal, a lot of debates all over the country, all over the world, actually. But they're big debates in New York City. Uh, they'll have 400 people with clickers, and they'll ask whatever the question is. Uh, they'll say beforehand, here's what the question is. How do you feel about it? Are you pro or are you con? Are you favor the affirmative or the negative on the issue? And so the say the public votes thirty percent for the affirmative, seventy percent against. And then when the debate's over, they re uh, uh, test the audience and ask them, "Well, what do you think now?" Hmm. And so if it goes up to forty percent affirmative, previously it was only thirty, then the affirmatives have won the debate, even though they're more still on the negative side than the affirmative side. At the end. The affirmative side has won over. So minds are changed in these yeah, debates, yeah. and everyone's not stuck. Whose minds get changed? Wow. And so that's the way they do uh, these really big. Uh, I did one in New York City with about 400 voting. Wow. And uh, a big audience, bigger than uh, it would have filled every seat in this auditorium here today. Yeah. And uh, so I've. I, I, but done two or three of these lately, and I've won every one of them, so I, I'm feeling pretty good about nice my, job. my debating 
skills. Yeah. Okay. That's something for you to look forward to. I can't either, wait. Either, you know, either. one of the things that I'd really love to do is I'm honestly not sure what I want to do as, you know, a job or a career, but no, I no, yeah. know that You've I... have got a ways to go, yeah. Yeah, I just, I know that I want to do public speaking of some sort, and I would give anything to get up on a stage and speak and debate and just do uh, civil I, discourse I, and interact with ideas, you I know? can say that about you. I can say. Thanks. Yeah, I just uh, think debate is such a powerful no, thing. No, it's cool. Honestly. It's super cool. Uh, I don't think of anything better than that. And when the Coolidge Foundation decided they were going to start doing debate tournaments, I thought it was great. I went to a couple. There was a national debate tournament between a U.S. Debating, U.S. national high school debating team and a Canadian high school debating wow. team that I went to That's in, awesome. in New York City once. Uh, the Coolidge, that must have been cool. The Coolidge Foundation organized. It was super cool. Yeah, big great. shout out to the Coolidge Foundation. Yeah, They're great. doing a great job of these tournaments, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, Dr. Vetter, thank you so much for interviewing with us. We really appreciate it. What's the Res listeners? Big shout out to everyone at the tournament today. We appreciate all of you guys being here for those who are here. And I've really enjoyed this interview. I think it was great. Remember, debate is important. Debate is awesome. And if you haven't done it already, I highly encourage you to get out there and do some debating, get involved. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. This is Ethan Delves with What's the Res, and we will see you next time.